0: Well Good morning for Northeast by Midwest. Yeah, you guessed it. It's Jonathan Jones, and I'm here with one of my good friends. Troy Ancona? Oh yeah. I'll even say it. Oh yeah, baby. I don't know if uh, the general will let me say it that way, but I did. We are doing something I've never done before, and I am so excited. We are coming to you from a historic site in Brunswick, Maine, and uh, we have a not only my good friend, but a docent, with the Bejeb Scott Historical Society with us, Troy himself, and we're going to walk through General Joshua Chamberlain's home. And so I'm going to just let uh, Troy take over for a minute. Tell us, you know, for people that aren't from Maine and from our, where we are at right now, we'll kind of go from big to small, you know, uh, what town we're in, uh, orient them a little bit, and then we're going to talk about exactly where we're at. So where are we, where are we, right now not not in the room so much but where are we at proximity wise
1: well we're in brunswick maine and if you are familiar with brunswick at all we're right down main street by probably the easiest thing to find the first parish church the large church right at the end of main street uh just before Bowdoin college so we are across from the church and the bowden college campus right on main street and the main and potter is, is the address the house Maine, is on.
0: Maine and Potter. And, and I don't know if it was this way in, in General Joshua Chamberlain's day, uh, but I remember when I first came to Maine, as I was getting ready to date my wife at the time. Of course, she wasn't my wife at the time. But anyway, um, and I saw Topsham Maine, mm-hmm. and she immediately corrected me that it's Topsum Maine. Yep. And then I remember seeing Bowdoin College. <laughs> yep. 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 <laughs> and, and I don't know if uh, if General Joshua Chamberlain had that, but I'll still, every once in a while, something someone to go, oh, you know, Bowdoin College. No, it's Bowdoin College. Bowdoin College. And, and we were just talking, even though not officially part of the Ivy League, really kind of up there with, um, uh, you know, Yale, uh, Dartmouth, you know, uh, Harvard, and the list goes on. Now, you were just telling me something before we get to the specifics, that Bowdoin College, What? so we look, Bowden is right to our east, right? We're yeah. looking right across, and there's a There's a wonderful bust of of General Joshua Chamberlain, what, maybe 50 yards across the street from us here? Yep, statue. So those in the area, you know, kind of know it when you come around the corner here. Main Street Baptist Church is down the road, Little Dog Coffee. I mean, we're kind of right in the middle, the little mall here, the Tontine Mall. So uh, Bowdoin College was done by the state of Massachusetts, is that correct? So can you just, just so folks know a little bit about where we're at, because we'll get into that, I would assume, at some point.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, Bowdoin College was an act of the state legislature of Massachusetts, uh, late 1700s, 1790s okay. uh, for Bowdoin. I don't claim to be a Bowdoin expert, uh, so the exact year, I'm not sure. but uh, It was an act of the legislature, Massachusetts, uh, and, and, and Maine people don't like this, but owned Maine at that point. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's why there's a, there's a, a, a love-hate relationship between Massachusetts oh, yeah. and, and, and Maine. And there still is. I, and we,
0: there still is. We, we, we live in the southern part of Maine, so to speak, but even those of us that live in the northern part of the southern part of Maine, even though we're in the southern part of the northern part of Maine, we, we even refer sometimes to like Portland South as like Northern Mass, you know? Yes. So yeah, anyway. and,
1: and if you, the further north you go, that boundary moves. Because if you go out yeah. north of Bangor, <laughs> well, this whole part of the southern state is Massachusetts. Oh,
0: yeah. so, so anyway, yeah. you know, we, we, we don't in any way want to do a, a sacrilege here to General Joshua Chamberlain. But we, we are on sort of, at least in my mind, kind of holy or hallowed ground, uh, so to speak. And so what we're going to do is uh, Troy is uh, the... Uh, administrator of Lisbon Falls Christian Academy, does a great job there. But he also works here for the Pachebska Historical Society. And tell me if I'm saying it right, at the General Joshua Chamberlain Museum, right? Which is his home here in Brunswick. And so I just had the privilege and I want to put a shout out and a big thank you to the Pachebska Historical Society for allowing Troy to take me through on a private tour. And, And I have to tell you, if you're a local here in Maine, you, you gotta come check it out. It's wonderful. I learned so much history today. Like I think we spent what, maybe an hour and a half and I could have spent five hours. And it, it's such a pleasure. Troy does a great job. There are other docents. So I want to give a big shout out to them. And uh, also, um, you know, just that there's so much, not, not only just to learn about culture, but about General Chamberlain, the Civil War, and then all of the things as he becomes governor. So Troy, I've asked him now, We are in General Joshua Chamberlain's library, right? And so I don't know if you want to start or end with the library. I'm going to leave that up to you so you can think about that, Troy. But as we get ready to talk, I've kind of asked Troy to, in a mind's eye, we're not going to walk around. We just did that. You need to come do that sometime. They can contact you or contact the society here. But you're going to kind of walk us through some of your favorite things from the house is that right here in the yep. next few minutes? Sure. So, so what, what, what's your pleasure? Do you want to start with the room here at the library or do you want to end with it? Oh, I'm
1: probably going to I'm probably gonna put this near the end. Okay, it's let's, like let's save, the, save the best for dessert last. Dessert for last, yeah. It,
0: it, but, but, but I do just have to say to start, it, it is incredible. I mean, we could have spent the whole time in here. Oh, easy. It, it's yeah. easy. So, all right. So as, as, as you come in, you know, you have a little bookstore and stuff like that. But as you just walk me through it, uh, whether it's by story or by room, I, I know you already told me one of your favorite things, so I'm sure that will come up in a little bit. But where are you going to take me? I, I'm Jonathan Jones. I've come here today. You know, and let's say I've only got, you know, 15 minutes, uh, which tours take longer than that. And you go, all right, got to go do this. Where are you going to take me?
1: 15 minutes, I'd probably bring you right to the library. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, let's pretend we couldn't yeah. go to the library. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, I mean, you know, one of the first things you do is you'd go upstairs uh, from the main entrance of the house, which leads to an apartment section. Uh, and, and, you know, we won't spend much time on that, but the house of Chamberlain's daughter inherits the house. It goes to his granddaughter who sells the house and it becomes an apartment. Uh, but basically we go through the old apartment section, which is still uh, remaining to some degree. There were eight apartments here at one point. Wow. And, uh, now I think there's only the remains of three or four, uh, depending on how you count one room. But in any case, you go through the old apartment section, and there's two rooms upstairs, two main rooms okay. uh, of the museum, and one is, we call the Longfellow Room. Okay. And that is one of my, uh, I, I would say, because of the history, this house is more than just General Chamberlain's house, because Henry Wadsworth Longfellow lived here.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, he was a Bowdoin graduate, 1825. Chamberlain invited him back in 1875 uh, to speak at Bowdoin College for his 50th anniversary. Yeah. And and Chamberlain, in the letter that we have, says to Longfellow, come stay in your old room. <laughs> uh, so he, uh, Longfellow, uh, in the early 1830s, had taught at Bowdoin, and he, uh, he rented, uh, it was a boarding house at this time, Chamberlain's house, and he uh, rented uh, two or three rooms. Hmm. And one of the rooms that we use in the museum is called the Longfellow Room. We have reproduction paper that Longfellow put up. Uh, things of that nature. So there's a real neat aspect. And Chamberlain later in life acknowledging that. And even to the point, I didn't even tell you, Chamberlain invited him to go sailing with him. Oh, really? Which Longfellow respectfully declined because his schedule was too busy. <laughs> but uh, Chamberlain loved to sail. So that would that would be one room. The Longfellow room is a real neat room, especially
0: if you have an interest in Longfellow. Well, and you think, as you and I talked we were up there, and it really, honestly, of all the rooms, I mean, where we're at right now, I get shivers being in here. I mean, as you're talking, you know, a a podcast isn't going to do this justice. But in a few minutes, you'll walk us through the room a little bit. And so this room is such a treasure trove. But I think of all the rooms, that one might be my favorite next to this. because. And then what's next to here, which maybe I'm sure you'll address as well, his sort of personal study. But, um, you know, as we were up there, I, I still get shivers thinking of, I heard the bells on Christmas Day their old familiar carols play yep. of wild and sweet. There is it the bells repeat of peace on the earth? The words earth, repeat. words repeat of peace on earth could wilt towards men. I mean, and so you can't come in here without feeling, you know, uh, as he'll write later, the belfries of all Christendom, as he feels the country ripping to pieces as, as we're fighting over so many things and brother fights against brother. So, yeah, what a... What a great place to start. I mean, there's so, so so much history here. So it's not only General Joshua Chamberlain and Governor, but, you know, I mean, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and not too far from here, someone who most folks probably haven't heard of, Harriet Beecher Stowe. Uh, her, she, she didn't have anything to do at all with the Civil War.
1: Well, and it, 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 it's <laughs> it's such a strange story because Chamberlain's life crosses with so many people. Because, yeah, you have Longfellow in the Longfellow room, and before I leave that room, uh, two favorite pieces in that room would be the armoire cabinet, mm. which is, we think, has been in the house maybe from the beginning so to speak and, and, and
0: if I, you don't mind me saying it is huge trivia oh yeah I mean just you and I
1: could get into it
0: but we Rome-wise. how many guys you probably need seven eight guys to carry that I anymore. wouldn't want to move that thought. oh my no. sorry
1: the the armoire cabinet is really neat, and I always like the Tiffany bracelet. The Tiffany bracelet yeah. has such a beautiful story, and I'm going to leave that as a teaser. You have to come see it to, to appreciate oh. it.
0: And that's over at Bowden, right? The Bowden, yeah, the uh, bracelet
1: the bracelet's at Bowden, but, but we got a picture. we got a picture of it in the museum. Yeah. And this beautiful bracelet that he picks up, and anybody knows anything about history or Tiffany's a Tiffany bracelet, and oh. that alone, just let alone the the historical value, uh, Chamberlain had custom made, so that's not he didn't walk in and just buy something. Yeah. He, he ordered this.
0: And I'll just add, uh, because I'm not I – am, I am the uh, uh, the docent in training. Ha, ha, ha. Not not, not, not actual. Just joking. <laughs> but anyway, from, from what you were telling me, he had that made specifically for his wife. Oh, yeah. So the story behind it, as you were telling me – we'll leave that for another time – really almost brought tears to my yeah. eyes. Um, and so what a – and so it just on, on a man who was a man of war – um, he fought, you know. Uh, God used him in a lot of ways. A man of study, uh, th- this guy had a soft heart, and, and he does. And I really appreciate that. Uh, getting that, you know, rooms like that just kind of bring that out.
1: Well, you know, when we get down into the governor years, I mean, uh, I think of an author, John Poland, who I would highly recommend his books. Uh, he he described one of Chamberlain's shortcomings as a governor is his, he put it? He didn't have the height of a rhinoceros. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh,
1: and and that does I I think there's nothing wrong with that statement because he was a sensitive individual yeah uh, and and uh, he was uh, romantic in many and, and a broader sense mm-hmm. of life in general right. he looked at everything through a very uh, he was an idealist yeah. but yeah so the Longfellow room and then you go across the hallway and maybe not the most beautiful room but uh, it was his master bedroom or mm-hmm. it was described in 1907 as being. Uh, the General Sleeping Quarters by the Lewiston Evening Journal. Okay. Uh, in that room, I would say one of the big things I get out of that room is what you mentioned is Harriet Beecher Stowe. The lives of this guy, if you look at this guy's life and how many people he rubs shoulders with. Oh, yeah. And so he's got Longfellow that he has a connection with, and he's full aware of this connection. And he invites Longfellow back, and his junior year... He's got Harriet Beecher Stowe's husband as his professor Mm -hmm. for natural and revealed religion. And he talks about going over to the Stowe house for date nights. (laughs) Now, you know, you jokingly throw that out to maybe people today. That was a date night for he and Fanny to go to the Stowe house and have book recitals (laughs) and a different culture, a different time. And uh, w- so what's one of the books he talks about? Well, he talks about this book that hasn't got a title yet called Uncle Tom's Cabin. <laughs> and it's it's something that she's literally working on. And if that isn't strange enough, she is sitting on the first floor, left-hand side of the church. And as a student, he's sitting up in the student section, which was the, uh, the balcony of the church. I got to get you in there. And so he and Harry Beecher Stowe were uh, worshiping in the same service. Uh it, you you have so much history. Uh and that's where you get into Lincoln said, basically so you're the little lady who wrote that book that started the big war, and then Chamberlain oversees the surrender at Appomattox, and they are sitting in her parlor or sitting room yeah. uh with his future wife hearing Uncle Tom's cabin. So yeah. it's a, it's such a small world. So that would be the opposite. That's the governor's sleeping quarters. Uh, we, we call it the brewer room. I don't even know if I said that to you, but we talk about his life in there, okay. and there's some other fun things in there. There
2: sure is yeah. his
1: family, is such a great family. I, I I, would
0: like to have met almost any one of them, yeah. Uh, but. And, and I just want to interject I should have done it at the beginning, but that's okay for those listening. This is part of our series, so if you are following along, um, you know, we're, we're doing kind of a series on General Joshua Chamberlain, I think it's yeah. I think this is our fourth installment, it's either fourth or fifth, but um. We'll kind of come back to the series because we're working through his life. And so it just so happened that Troy was kind enough today to buy me a breakfast at a local, uh, let's see, what was the name of the place? Flip. Flip. And so if you're in Brunswick, you should go check them out. Uh, We like to, we're we're local people and uh, we had a great time there and then came here and did the tour and then making the podcast here. Where we'll end in a few minutes with the icing on the cake, which is Chamberlain's Library. Boy, would I love to... Read some of these books in here. As Troy's talking, I'm just I, I'm I'm like my ADD just going all around. You know, this <laughs> is a, this is a room
1: that's really tough to keep. Yeah, I and yeah, I have trouble in this room. Still yeah. doing. I've been here for 23 so years. So we're gonna
0: so. have to save plenty of time for you at the end. So yep. so as you come there, you know, there's uh, we we kind of as I recall, we came down the steps. Then is that correct? Oh
1: yeah, but you got to talk about the doorway upstairs. That's right. Yeah. So go well, ahead and tell my, us about that. My and, and quickly, my third favorite. I uh, the three parts about upstairs would be Longfellow's Stowe. Yeah. Uh, the early years of Chamberlain, but the second floor has a door that goes to the outside of the house, yes. and you'll have to come and know why. But it still opens; it opens literally, and you you basically step out onto the roof of of, of the doorway yeah. uh, downstairs, and so you'd have to come see it, uh, why it's there. But General Grant stood there, and and I I can't help but stand in that doorway and think about. August of 1865, the war is, the dust is, the dust literally is still on his uniform, so to speak. Yeah. And Grant is hanging out with Chamberlain in Brunswick, Maine. Uh, that's a beautiful right. story. There's a beautiful story there. So those would be three things upstairs. Yeah. Then you come downstairs in the entryway.
0: Now, before we do, though, you did tell me something up there about Grant and Chamberlain, but I think it probably ought to be said um, because it caught my attention. So many things you said, one of them was, as Grant was speaking at some sort of a rally and, and I'll let you finish it but 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 Chamberlain, as only he can do and, and whether we get to it today or not, maybe we will at later times um, you you sort of said the same thing with a uh, a speech that he had to make up at the state capitol as another little round top, so. Yep. Chamberlain seems to, a little Roundtop becomes sort of ironic all throughout his life in a lot of ways. And so he makes a speech here in Bowdoin to end a speech that no one wanted to end. Maybe you can just uh, add
1: that in. Yeah, here. that's a fun Grant story. You can actually find it in uh, Pajepska, I think, has a copy of the Times Record uh, article that talks about it. But in any case, Grant had come up in Chamberlain, at Chamberlain's invitation. And he spoke briefly, and I don't know how long a speech it was. it may indicate in the article, but he sounds like a man of few words he didn't He didn't say a lot, uh but the crowd was just enthralled, and they didn't want him to go, and they wanted him to speak again, and they they were really pressing him and Grant was very quietly and respectfully kind of no, no he didn't he really didn't want to do it and The story is that Chamberlain had to interject, and he stood up. Uh, to the podium or wherever they were. And he looked out at the crowd and he said, I have served under General Grant and I have long learned that when Grant says no, General Grant means no, this is done. And so Chamberlain uh, kind of almost acted as the presidential bodyguard, so to speak, in a very uh, in a humorous way, not a literal way. And he put his body between Grant and the crowd and got Grant off the hook. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, Grant would hang out with
0: Chamberlain a little bit here. So the reason I wanted you to tell that story is I don't want to, I'm not the docent here, you are. So I guess I'm going to ask you this. But that story, as you were telling me, others that we won't have time for today, but as we talk through things, that story there to me illustrates really how I view General Chamberlain, that he was always kind of the man in the middle that would get people or situations or colleges or the country from A to B. And and yep. just seems to be the type of person that, you know, he, he, he was progressive thinking and he was not the kind of person that was going to uh, status quo. When, when he made up his mind, as you've talked about, he, he's going to persevere. You weren't going to move him, but he was always willing to move. And so, I don't know, just... That story today really kind of grabbed me as a heart of, of Chamberlain in a lot of ways.
1: Well, and again, we talked about it. I think it was the first or the second. Uh, you know, I think that comes from from his uh, moving the cart story. You know, yeah. as when he looked at his father and said, "Cart had become stuck with hay on it," and he said, "How do I do it?" His father said, "Do it." That's how Chamberlain, throughout his life, uh, moved a pretty straight line, yeah. uh, figuratively speaking. And he was not a man who liked detours. Uh, I don't know any other way to put it. And so he would hit something. And consequently, because of the time period he lived in, the guy would find himself in some pretty hot water. Uh, And he would very rarely did I... I, I, matter of fact, if you were to press me and say, pick a time when Chamberlain said, I wish I hadn't done that. Mm. Honestly, I'm not saying he wouldn't or didn't. I wouldn't be that bold. I don't know of a story that I can think of,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he doesn't strike me as uh, just being on total arrogance. He pretty much he understood that when he made his decision, he made his decision, yeah. uh, and so yeah, the the Grant thing is is a classic case because he he would uh, he was not afraid to uh, to put himself in the in the way. As I told you about a letter later in life, he said. To his mother, there's not an ounce of fear in me. I forget how he put it, but he said, you know, there's not, I think he said, not a particle of fear in me.
0: Yeah, as he's being threatened for his very life. As his life
1: is being threatened. And he says that more than once. So Chamberlain is, now that situation wasn't life or death, but Chamberlain wasn't afraid to put himself in, in in a hot situation. Yeah. So that I think would complete upstairs. Then we go downstairs to the entryway.
0: And one of your favorite spots. right My
1: favorite spot if
0: you'll, if you'll kindly share. Yeah,
1: it. my favorite literally, and, and I do people who just go through the house, they're confused by this, but my favorite artifact of all the artifacts in the house and we have uh, you know, we have artifacts coming up that you're going to hear and you're going to say, you actually like this better than what you just said. <coughs> it's the doorknob. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a white porcelain doorknob. And it's about 30 inches, 28 inches up off the ground uh, on the wall.
2: Mm-hmm. Not on a door,
1: just in the wall. And why that's there is because Chamberlain was shot through the hip at Petersburg. And that's how he operated the heat register, mm-hmm. in that spot. And that is honestly my favorite artifact in the house.
0: I think that's fantastic. Yeah.
1: It, it, well, you know, it, it, and only because it... Uh, having a lot of veterans in my family, I've had you know I've had at least that I know of uh, four that have served in in the military. Yeah. Uh, more if I count uh, you know as far as direct when I talk about grandfathers and fathers and sons and things of that nature. Uh, so I have an appreciation of veterans and respect service, but also in particular in, in the case of those who come back wounded or come back uh, life is different. Yeah, and so that that's a mark of he's a different man after the war.
0: And I think if if uh if you're good transitioning now i you know looking at the the time we, we usually record about an hour and so yep. i i think that the library ought to probably take up the rest of our time but maybe you yep. can just give us um be thinking of a, a a simple way to share a couple of the other rooms and then we'll go to the library but as we do you know we both feel very strongly to be thankful for veterans i had veterans yep. in my own family i know you have a son that serves and so, if, if you are or have served our country or a family member, you know we're we're thankful. Yep. Uh, we're the land of the free yep. because of the brave. And you know, it's an interesting thought. I it hadn't really occurred to me before, but really, Chamberlain, uh, General Chamberlain, actually died then because of his wound at Petersburg. Yep. Um, many years later. And so, it's interesting when you think of the Civil War. You know, casualties it ranges anywhere from eight hundred thousand to I've heard up or million and a half ish. But then even like him, you know, he may have lived another 10 to 15 years if that hadn't happened. His health
1: know. seemed pretty good. You know, so yeah.
0: um, so, needless to say, I, I think that's a good statement for us here because, um, you know, in, in a society that's not always thankful for those that have served, we want to be thankful. So.
1: Absolutely. Well, Chamberlain talks, I was reviewing it last night, Chamberlain talks about... Over 8,000, I forget, it was 8,000, 8,500, something like that. Over 8,000 Maine men uh, in his uh, first governor's address lost their life uh, in the Civil War. And he estimated, uh, he, he said that the figure that they would use in the military, I think, was uh, for every one killed five wounded. Uh, he said they honestly didn't know how many Maine men came back with some kind of uh, permanent wound or wounds. But he said it was impossible to calculate, but he gave figures conservatively of 11 to 16,000, which he would have been one, that came back wounded, you know, amputation, uh, et cetera. So yeah, absolutely. But no, what I'll do real quick, uh, because yeah, I'm, uh, we want get, to get this all in. Um, I'll do the, we'll do the library last, but uh, we've got the governor's room, desk and chair, the campaign banner in the governor's room yes. has got to be one of my favorite, yeah. an original campaign banner. Uh, and this is one of the few. This, this one is really neat. It's not a car- I think cardboard or vinyl or uh, this is this one you got to see. But we got a campaign banner talking about his election uh, right. run, and I don't know which year because we don't have a year. But he served four terms. We have so that's the governor's room. We have uh, the the formal parlor, yes, which is gorgeous. That is amazing. Absolutely beautiful.
0: And, and what's it called? Is that would you call the crest? Trump, of, uh, uh,
1: uh, yeah, the medallion. The it's medallion, Trump, okay. Trumploy. Uh, yeah. If you're really into art or painting styles, Loy on the ceiling. It was done by an artist named Schumacher, okay. who's an immigrant. He had come over from Europe, okay. and he, uh, he did the Washburn Estate. If you ever go to New Orleans okay he did he did their ceiling matter of fact uh the, the historian thinks he Chamberlain might have pre- grabbed him from seeing that because he was friends with the Washburns okay Governor gotcha. Washburn, so we got the formal parlor, beautiful fu- pile of furniture in there and everything mm-hmm. you've got uh, the the dining room uh, which we have there dinnerware, the sideboard yeah. uh the goblets uh, which you have to see, but they're they're etched with a, a Chamberlain C on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, a great myth story that uh, on uh, which I won't say here, involving Chamberlain and Grant and what they might have done to a
0: dining room table so if you want to know the myth it would it be fair to say you have to come for a tour you have How to say. come for a tour because right. i'm not going to tell you that one no here. and i know the myth but i won't say it yeah um, and uh but, but i'll tell you this i'll be looking for it and i'll leave it at that
1: it might be <laughs> it might be literally Arthurian knights of the round table stuff but it's it, it is a legitimate story yeah. so that's the dining room uh and then you have the private study which uh we we call the architectural history room but uh, it's, it's not much of a room to look at, but the story is that's the room that he would go in. He had a painting of his daughter, which I thought was kind of neat. Uh, he had his civil war cot in there. He had a reclining couch and I'll throw that in again for the veterans. There's comments about him having special chair, mm-hmm. uh, and a, uh, reclining couch and cots because, uh, he had trouble sitting for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, he, in this private study, he supposedly did a lot of his research writing or, uh, his probably, uh, oratory, uh, things of that nature was in there. So that's kind of a neat room. Uh, not very attractive to look at cause it's not restored, but the, what went on there?
0: Yeah. It's yeah, just, it, it, it's the whole house. And I mean, there's other things that we won't get to here because like I said, you and I just spent a good hour and a half and we probably could have spent three hours. You oh know? yeah. But so, so when you come, not if you need to plan, I would say for a good two hours, uh, at least, and they also have a bookstore with, uh, you know, you can get some trinkets and different things. But they have some great books. And uh, for any of you out there that love history, um, I, I hope you do. It's a, it's a wonderful reminder. So what, I, what I'd like to do, if, if you're good, and I really want you to do it, you, you drive the train, I'm just along for the ride, is walk us through for the next, you know, half an hour, 35 minutes um, some of your favorite pieces here in the library. Because, I mean, you could spend 35 minutes on some of the pieces. But I want to just let you, you know, maybe kind of give us a, a general description of the room and then walk us through. It's it's such – and honestly, they're all worth it. I, I don't know that I feel like uh, I love this room, you know, so much better than all the others. But it's just got so much in it. Like, it, you know, they're all great. This one, though, is probably the most decorative of them all because of what we're looking at above us.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. yeah.
0: So when we come in here – what, what do I see when I walk around the room?
1: Well, i got to put a quick disclaimer in case the director hears this. The t- tours are an hour long, and uh, jokingly, the docents would be clapping because they all want to do two hours, <laughs> okay, so and I the just... director would be saying, no, you can't go that long. It's an hour. Uh, now, that said, uh, he, he just had a private tour, so I took about an hour and a half. <laughs> so in any case, um, no, we're in the I, I had to say that. Nobody will probably hear it that, that is associated, but they might. Uh, we're in his library, and I would just say the, the the depends on who you are. The parlor is probably one of the most popular rooms in the house. Uh, the formal parlor. That said, if you love history, if you love American history, if you love Civil War history, uh, having done tours here for 23 years, I need a giant shoehorn to get people out of this room because they don't want to leave the room. Uh, it, it's it's a beautiful room, beautiful. Uh, wallpaper design, uh, it's one of the rooms that obviously they, they put a lot of thought into. I don't know if you'd noticed it, but the ceiling detail, which is remains of the original, yeah. uh, the holes that you're looking at are attempts to preserve it. But right in the middle of a ceiling is a giant flag that is a reproduction of the original flag that Chamberlain had hanging here, and it literally takes up the whole... Uh, ceiling and uh, there's a little bit of a myth about where he got it from because this is not a flag uh, with Pastor John seeing this he would attest for it that you march with Right, it would yeah. be a huge pole oh,
0: I mean I'm trying to think how big is this room it's got to be almost 20 feet across it's a huge flag maybe yeah. 25 feet I mean, yeah, it's-
1: the flag is the flag <laughs> literally goes the whole length of the room and I would say uh, uh, three quarters of the width, and uh, the the story is it's thought to be a fort, a flag from a fort. Ah, okay. Now, the interesting thing if that is true, I have no clue where he got it from because to my knowledge, he was never in a fort. In other, you know in other words, he was all, he was all on campaign, he wasn't stationed at some big fort someplace, mm-hmm. but that's the story behind it. i don't I don't know where he got it from the originals at Bowdoin College. Huh. but in any case, that so you got that on the ceiling, and the story we have is his personal secretary which they interviewed uh she was a very young girl she was hired near the end of his life and she was still alive when i started here Uh, they interviewed her and she said the flag never came off the ceiling except for maybe one or two occasions and uh, on one occasion in particular they had a group of ladies from a knitting group or a stitching group and they re-stitched the flag because the seams were pulling apart. Oh, wow. Now, you see the flag, so you can imagine why the seams were pulling apart. Yeah. A lot of weight suspended on that on on the seams of this flag. Sure. Yeah. So, in any case, this flag was... It, some people walk in and they think we're making this up. But I've got a picture that's about two feet away from me mm-hmm. that shows the flag in the ceiling. So, you got that on the ceiling. Uh, we don't do it justice because most of the bookshelves are gone. But I've got two very good-sized bookshelves, which he would have had at least three times this quantity, uh, Lewiston uh, Evening Journal says 2,000 volumes in this part of the house.
0: That's incredible.
1: And so he is a <laughs> prolific reader. Uh, there are so many accounts of him reading. He loved Maine history mm-hmm. in particular, but he had a lot of military works, which is what uh, we're looking at here. Now, we don't have his original library, but these are th- the type of period books he would have had. In uh, some of these, you know, uh, he even refers to uh, in some of his writings. But in any case, they're they're period books. So a man very well read, and in this room, uh, I mean, around us, we have uh, one of his swords, one of his known swords. Yeah. Uh, that one, uh, his Gettysburg sword, is in Bangor.
0: Okay. Okay, Bangor
1: that. Historical Society. If you ever up there, uh, they've got his Gettysburg sword. But this is in. He had four or five swords. And every sword has a story. So if you just told them, and the Lewiston paper literally refers to that. They say, you know, you could point to something and he would go off and tell stories. Uh, we have, uh, across me, we have uh, his saddle and, and saddle blanket, uh, reportedly from the war. Uh, now, whether it was the whole war or just the end of the war, uh, but the saddle is is... Gorgeous. Uh, we don't have time for it. A lot of horse stories. Mm. Uh, he, uh, he loved horses. Uh,
0: Charlemagne
1: was his favorite. Charlemagne right? was his favorite. Well, Charlemagne's his favorite. Charlemagne's the one that lived.
0: Right.
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: he, he seemed to really like Prince also at the beginning. Prince was given to him at the beginning of the war, but Prince, uh, we think, was killed. He, he never talks about Prince dying, but we know he refers to a wound that would seem to be mortal. I'll keep this rated G, and I won't go any further. But he talks about a wound for prince, and uh, seems like he probably passed away. But yeah, Charlemagne. So we got a saddle. Uh, I am going to save kind of the best for last. We got remnants of his uniform uh, okay. behind. Yeah. Uh, Passage on here, uh, which is kind of neat uh, from different parts. We've got his uh, major general uh, shoulder patches, uh, buttons etc. uh we have uh if you're really into the civil war Ellis Spears Kane if you don't know who Ellis Spear is yeah. you need to come in you need to hear about him.
0: That's
1: right. Uh we've got uh, we've got pictures of uh oh yeah we've got the medal of honor uh from 1893.
0: Well that's do you mind if you're allowed to share how you got that?
1: No, I don't mind at all. I mean I I, I
0: th- that I mean there's so many stories you told me today that you could go on probably each one a podcast but I thought that story was really... Of, of all the things in the room, there's a bunch that I love. The story you told me about that, I thought was really neat.
1: Well, and I didn't even go into this. That happened uh, about 10 years ago, just before I came to the school.
0: Oh, really? That okay. was
1: one of the last things I dealt with. Okay. Um, that, so roughly 10, 11 years ago, um, a man was at a church rummage sale down in Massachusetts. Picked up a book. Bought the book. I don't know how much for An older book. And this Medal of Honor falls out, or this medal falls out of the book. (laughs) And, you know, I don't know all the backstory, but he had it checked. And it's engraved on the back. It says Joshua Chamberlain right on it. Uh, So the story is he put it in a cheap uh, five-cent manila envelope and mailed it uh, to the Bajewskit Historical Society. Now, I was on the board at that point and was a docent here. And I got a call from the director that I had to come down. And so you can picture yourself, she hands me this manila envelope. She didn't say what really was in it. She had asked me about um, what I knew about metals and stuff like that, and I said, not much. And so she said, well, carefully, let's slide out the contents. And she warned me to be careful. Uh, So I slid it into my hand and I just stared at it. And I said, what am I looking at? She says, flip it over, because I flipped it on the front side of it. And while I looked on the back and it said, Joshua Chamberlain, July 2nd, 1863. And I just looked at her and I immediately, it's like, okay, this has got to be the Medal of Honor. Yeah. I, You know, I hadn't seen a picture of the original because nobody knew where it went.
2: Right.
1: Now Bowdoin has the, a reissued medal in 1905. And uh, I won't go into that. I would say if you want to know about that. But he didn't get two Medal of Honors, but they had a design change. And so there's a second one. That one was long known about. And I had had seen pictures of that, but I'd never seen this one.
0: So this is the original. This
1: is his first one. And he, he, along with other veterans, uh, when they asked to get it back, he wouldn't give it back to him because he said, no, it's engraved. So they let him keep it, and uh, that is the original. But it had disappeared from history. I had been here for, at that point, probably 13, 15 years, whatever it was, and nobody knew where this metal went.
0: And he died in 1914, so this is almost 100 years after. Yeah. Right? Well, you're saying this is probably... Well, it was, 2009, 10, somewhere that 11 maybe. Well,
1: I started the school in uh, January yeah. of 2014.
0: So, 13, 14 then. So, so it was 100 years.
1: Yeah, it was right around the time of the 150th of Gettysburg. It might have wow. been 2012, 2013, yeah. 2014. I uh, can't remember right at the moment. But in any case, uh, we had the Smithsonian come up. We had an Army historian uh, come up wow. and uh, the state historian. They said, yeah, this is the real deal. <clears throat> Uh, and so it it now the the short version is the area that we found it in uh, and the church happened to be uh, attended by his family, Okay. a daughter and granddaughter. Yeah. Uh, and so more than likely that's how they the church got it. You know it was in in a box of stuff, uh, but in any and they didn't know the medal was in there. or If they did, they didn't recognize what it was. So yeah, we got the Medal of Honor. That's that's uh, right there. Uh, you know we've got some uh, some of the photographs I love even though they're not necessarily antiques but they're reproductions of the originals. We got the picture of Chamberlain posing with uh, a Confederate flag and a pistol. Yeah. Uh, that taken by Lewiston paper. He uh, very pr- it's a very proud pose and it's an obvious pose. And he's holding the pistol up so the photographer can see it. Well, that's the pistol from the charge at Little Round Top. Right. And if you're a real history buff, you can go to the State Museum in Augusta. They've got it. That's yeah. still there. I've got a picture of it. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's where that pistol went. Uh, so he obviously had been telling the story of Little Round Top uh, about the time that picture was taken. And, and they asked him to pose with it. We've got a picture of his brother, Governor Warren. I won't go into that, but there's a long involvement with him. And Governor Warren going to New York testifying after the war mm-hmm. against Sheridan and, and a trial. Yeah. That's that's really neat. Uh, I mean, other than that, we've got uh, a couple of nice room photos. The artwork. If you're into Civil War prints, we've got a uh, original Troyani. Yeah. Uh, of Beautiful. Gettysburg. That is, uh, that is uh, anybody who loves Civil War art, they they love that one. The painting of him being shot at Petersburg
0: is in here. And if you don't mind, can I drill in on something? Yep. Um, on the one of Petersburg, you were explaining. Maybe just explain a little bit. There, there's another flag in here, and then a picture of another flag yep. in here. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that. I thought th- that was. I I don't know. Maybe maybe that's just the nut in me, but that really intrigued me because. Flags to bring it to our culture today is sort of like the emojis, if you will, on a cell phone, you know, and, and, and flags were a really big deal. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, maybe you can talk a little bit about that and the other flag that's in here.
1: Well, I mean, you know, the, the, the story is, kind of to encapsulate it, is uh, Dan Butterfield, who came up, he, he's known for taps. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came up with a design, actually, there's a general... Uh, before him, who came up with uh, a basic theory that Butterfield expanded on, but Butterfield proposed the theory of having core badges. Okay. Uh, you know, this other general had come up with a core badge for his unit. Uh, Butterfield expanded upon it, and so they started using these core badges. So, in the case of the flag, uh, the Maltese cross ends up being the core badge for the Fifth Corps Army of the Potomac, okay. and then they would color code them. So uh you had red white and blue uh which would designate different divisions Mm -hmm. uh and red was the first division so if you ever drive by the chamberlain house and you see a red maltese cross on the chimney i have people who are not familiar with the civil civil war that come here all the time and they ask about the crusades they ask about the middle ages they they make that kind of connection that specifically has to do with the civil war and anybody who was a veteran in his day would have looked at that chimney or what a pastor is uh, John is referring about, and would have known that uh, Chamberlain was in the fifth Corps first division, mm-hmm. then you get into the flags
0: uh, right, and this one's really unique you look at i, mean, yep. I don 't even know that i 've seen a lot of flags like no
1: this. no uh, mm-hmm. it reminds me of a baseball pennant flag that I bought when I was a kid yeah you could you could kind of get those yeah. uh, what he 's referring to is uh, there's a picture of Chamberlain at Petersburg june eighteenth eighteen sixty four and he's uh, got a sword raised. Uh, in this case, the color barrier has been wounded. I think I've told you, you can see him at Chamberlain's uh, feet and Chamberlain had turned to, to pick up the, the colors. Well, the colors in this case isn't the American flag, which can be seen in the background. Chamberlain specifically says he picked up the, uh, the brigade flag, which was triangular or what I would call a baseball pennant yeah, shape. Yeah. So it's a triangular shape and it has the Red Maltese Cross. So yes. that flag is 5th Corps, 1st Division, 1st Brigade, because the 1st was always red. 1st okay. Division was red, 1st Brigade was red. Okay. And yeah. so the triangular flag would designate the brigade. Mm. And then later in the war, when Chamberlain, uh, after Appomattox was promoted to a division commander, mm-hmm. uh, that flag is rectangular. Okay. So we've got both in the room. We've got yes. the rectangular flag and then a. And then the painting of the the brigade flag. And that's how they would identify themselves on the field. Uh, somebody with a set of binoculars or could scan a field and they know exactly where you were from.
0: Amen. Huh, yep. That is so cool. Yeah, I think it's – and there's so much in here, right? I mean, my gracious, I, I want to pick up a, a bunch of these books and just read through them. <laughs> there's, there, well, there's some
1: great – there's some really great, great books in here, especially if you're familiar with Civil War history. Uh, you know this uh, Powell's Fifth Corps Army, the Potomac. I've got, I actually loved it so much. I've, I picked up a copy of it, and so I've got one at home. But no, I mean, so you've got in the Peters. To me, uh, that painting that we're talking about, which is Chamberlain at Petersburg, is so important. The Chamberlain because it changes the rest of his life, and you could argue, uh, I wouldn't even say argue, uh, easily state it changed his wife's life as well. Yeah. Uh, Chamberlain is is, that's the battle which he gets a bullet that goes from hip to hip he basically should have died I don't honestly he would say it was providential it's you know it's in the hands of Providence Uh, he thought he was dying he wrote a letter to his wife saying his goodbyes uh, and we've referred to that in a past podcast but it's it's this painting we're looking at that he's holding this flag that's where he gets the wound and his life was never the same and he'd have multiple surgeries for the rest of his life.
0: How uh, many surgeries did he actually have? Well,
1: and I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm working on tracking down procedures or there's procedures and checkups, but he was, he was operated on, depends on how you want to count them, uh, like a field triage. As soon as the wound, they were trying to stabilize him. And then they brought him uh, to City Point and they transferred him to Annapolis, okay. uh, the Annapolis. Yeah. And he was operated on in Annapolis. Um, I believe he was operated on in Philadelphia. Oh, wow. uh, Grant, had, at the end of the war, uh, he, he went home uh, after Annapolis, he recovered, came back. Just a few months later, he was shot in June, and he's back on the field in November of the same year, and tried to return and had to be sent home again, and he had additional surgery over the winter, and I think that was Philadelphia. And then he came back again. uh, And at the end of the war, he had been mustered out of the Army of the Potomac, and and Grant reinstated him in particular so he could have more surgery. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that one, I think, was Philadelphia. And then he had surgery in Boston in 1883. He had surgery in New York in 1893. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if that's all of them. Uh, He multiple times was going under... Uh, pension exams Mm -hmm. uh, because basically today he would be considered disabled Mm -hmm. Uh, unfortunately there's a really good book that I didn't even tell you about it that has just come out I read a a chapter on it and it talks about uh, it's called The Boys in Blue and Our Bodies in Blue Boys in Blue and it's, it has a chapter on Chamberlain talking about the hidden wound that oh, veterans can have. Yeah. Uh, there are the obvious wounds, the amputees, uh, which everybody sees and acknowledges. But there are the ones that have the hidden wounds, the wounds that we don't know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And his life was never the same after that yeah. moment. So you look at that one painting and that chases him right straight through to his death. Yeah. I've got a copy of his, of his obituary and it says uh, death uh, due to gunshot wound. Wow. Uh, now, it has other medical terms talking about infections and things of that nature. Sure. But that's the top line, death due to gunshot wound, uh, which happened to be the same doctor, uh, of one of two doctors that operated on him at Petersburg.
0: Wow.
1: Uh, it was a guy kind of, from Portland.
0: Kind of ironic. From Portland, Maine. Wow. Yeah,
1: he was, he was from Portland, Maine, and there was a New York doctor, and the two worked together, wow. saved his life, and at the end of his life... I can't blame him. You find a good doctor, you want to hang on to him. Why wouldn't you? And so Chamberlain, uh, he uh, when the doctor came home, he resided in Portland, and he became Ch- Chamberlain's uh, personal physician. Yeah. So that that has uh, to me a real. I've always loved that uh, that print because that does affect him. It affects mm. Fanny. Uh, both uh, she had her own medical issues with. Uh, eyesight and uh, other th- uh, other problems uh, that developed medical problems later in life, mm-hmm. a broken hip. Uh, so they had a tough life.
0: Oh no doubt.
1: And this kind of starts it all.
0: It yeah. So so a couple of things as we kind of uh, you know bring this part to a close, we'll come back next time. Yes, and we'll come back next time. I'm trying to think though and. Uh we're picking up, I think, in his mid twenties, aren't we? We're in the We're, college years. Yeah, mid twenties, right, right in the yep. college years. So, yep. Um, before you talk about that, I, I did want to. There's a couple chests. You know, oh yeah, yeah we, yeah. we probably ought to just just briefly mention what those are. I mean, my gracious, talking to you about those, you had me going in circles. So, just maybe you can tell everybody kind of what they are, and they're gonna have to come to the tour to get the full. There's
1: there's <laughs> several. There's two. Well, there's four chests. He's talking about. There's three wooden. There's three wooden, there's one metal I'm turning away, make sure I'm heard here. Uh, there's two that I'll focus on that are my favorites. Uh, one is the, called the campaign chest, yes. uh, which was often used for hauling liquor. Now, whether well, right. Chamberlain, uh, Chamberlain did uh, partake occasionally, but it didn't sound like he did much, so I don't know if that's what he used that for. But it's got his name on it. It's got the Maltese cross on it. It's a little wooden cabinet, and it obviously it's designed to it's compartmentalized. That one is really neat. The other one that really is a head scratcher is a Gatling gun chest. Yeah. <laughs> and well, you
0: told me that, I thought you misspoke until I read the little inscription. Yeah. And I'm like, what's that doing here? <laughs> I've had
1: people, I've had people come through here, and I've said that, and they'll they'll look at me and say, he wouldn't have had a Gatling gun in the war. And I said, I didn't say he had a Gatling gun in the war, but he's got a Gatling gun chest. Uh, I, I'm not an expert on the Gatling gun. I think there's rumors that on. Very rare occasions a uh, unit had one someplace, but basically they weren't used at all. Uh, the I would say probably in history, Custer supposedly was offered Gatling guns and didn't bring them with him because he didn't want to haul them. Uh, but in any case, Chamberlain has a Gatling gun chest. And <laughs> I don't. we don't honestly know where it came from uh, as far as that goes. My theory, and I'll use the word th- or hypothesis, is he was major general of the main militia for a number of years. And I have found newspaper documentation of the main militia, uh, and some of this comes from state reports, uh, in their inventory listing having two Gatling guns. Hmm. And they also talk about losing two Gatling guns in a fire in Lewiston. They had an armory in Lewiston in which the building caught on fire, and the report says that they wanted to report the loss of two Gatling guns. And then they were requisitioning to buy more Gatling
0: guns.
1: (laughs) So whether that's where that comes from, I don't know.
0: But that's neat. But but it is neat. And, uh, you know, it just, it accentuates why, if you're a student of history, and even if you're not, you you really need to come here to the Pajef Scott Historical Society and the General Joshua Chamberlain Museum. Because, you know, if anything, like you and I talk culturally to help us understand Different cultures too often. I'm just going to say it. We are arrogant today. Yep. We think we know everything. Um, you know, the old phrase that history repeats itself. This is a great reminder of um, of history and some of the blessings and lessons that we miss. So I know there's there's many more, but there's one more. And then I have a couple. If we have time at the end, I want to ask you But if we don't, we'll save them. You've kind of—I don't know if we want to say saved the best for last—but this is this is cool. So go go go.
1: This for... this has got to be—you uh, know—I mean
0: they're all great in my mind. But go for it. Tell if us what I, if you If I were to
1: rate, uh, if I would rate, uh, the doorknob would be number one, and the saddle would be number three, and this one would be number two. This is cool. I mean, uh, and, and the yeah. saddle and this one are pretty tough. Uh, it it's a leather pair uh, of boots, and they are Chamberlain's boots from Little Round Top, July 2nd, 1863. And what makes it even cooler, or even neater, is if you look on the instep of the right boot, somebody has done a beautiful leather patch job, but there's a hole that has been patched in his boot that's uh, pretty substantial. And uh, according to Chamberlain, he was hit in the foot during the battle at Little Round Top. Uh, So the the belief is that is from that that wound during the, the engagement. Uh, if you are familiar with the Ted Turner version of Gettysburg, Jeff Daniels is limping off the field at the end of it. Well, they never explain why. You can see him limping during the charge a little bit. Uh, that comes from that story. They just didn't take time to explain it or it got cut out. Maybe they had it and it got cut out that he was hit in the foot. Uh, we don't know exactly how he was wounded. And Chamberlain seemed confused about that as well. He just had a wound to the foot. Uh, but in front, so you got that. And then right in front of that is the Petersburg bullet. Yes. Oh, what's reported to be the Petersburg bullet. And this is what we've been talking about. This thing went into his right hip straight through his midsection, yeah. damaged the urethra, the bladder, went across to the other side and how this man was walking after this and alive. I don't know. But that's, I, but that's in with the boots.
0: And, I mean, seeing it, I, I'm just going to say it's almost the size of a half dollar. Oh, and yeah. I mean, the thickness of it is the bullets. Incredible.
1: Your father-in-law could probably – he's better. My father could, too, because they're more into ammunition. He could probably say the caliber of what that is. He'd probably right. laugh that I didn't know. But uh, it's it's a big caliber. Yeah. It's, it's a large caliber. If you haven't seen a Civil War, yeah. uh, you know, we've got – it, and that's why these are here. These are actual Civil War bullets, but they're for people to handle. Yeah. So, yeah, right. that's uh, – that, that's, uh, I would say, the highlight right in the center. So I would say my favorite would be the doorknob, the boots, the saddle, and the bullet uh,
0: for that reason. Well, I'm going to let, uh, for sake of time, you know, there's never enough time. One day in, in heaven there will be. But <laughs> we live on the earth now. And so um, I, I want to just say, and then I'm going to let you close this out, maybe thinking of, a story or two we've we got a couple of minutes. Uh, the one that I at least like you to end with, if you could is the story you told me in his personal library of his letter with say as he's getting ready to die oh yeah and and, and maybe as you're thinking of that, I want to say again a big thank you to you and but uh, Jeb Scott Historical Society for allowing us to you know broadcast this when it comes out from general Chamberlain's library. I mean honestly, this has been a privilege. Uh, I thank you for that, and I thank them for that. So as as we're exiting, you start telling me the story from his sister Say. And I, at least if there's time, I think that would be a neat way to close. So tell us a little yep. bit about that. He's now been governor. We'll come back in our series and address some well, of the yeah, yeah, we'll be going over this. Because there's some awesome stories. You told me a couple today that I was like, wow. <laughs> yep, yep. So, But what, what is this letter? It's 19. 19- 13, 1914?
1: Yeah, it's it's about 1913, and actually, I'm just going to qualify. I just realized I left out the Medal of Honor, and I don't know how I could do that. It's right in front of me. Uh, but that would be one of my favorite artifacts. And, and this room is where he would come to at night if he couldn't sleep. He says that. He would sit in a rocking chair in front of the fireplace we're sitting in front of.
0: Yeah, that gives you now, chills.
1: That's it. The letters, uh, the say, uh, they called her say. Say. Uh, uh, Sisters say it was near the end of his life. He'd been really sick, and he would, uh, he would, he could get sick from his wound infections. I should say. Uh, usually, it was in January or February. Uh, this particular case, I can't remember when the letter dates. It could happen at any point, but January or February, almost every year, he would, he had an infection uh, from his wound, and he would be bedridden for for weeks potentially. Mm-hmm. And in this case, he'd been sick for quite some time. And uh, sisters say, and she's a sweet soul. Uh, I, I, I've always liked her letters. She's And she's New England tough, but there's a sensitive side to her. Mm-hmm. And she's writing to her brother, and she's cons- obviously been concerned. And Chamberlain is trying to reassure her, which Tom and other brothers had done in the past. And Chamberlain makes a reference to... Uh, he thinks he's rallying. He he's feeling better, and he his he makes a reference to having his feet on this shore for a little longer, hmm. and he feels he's going to make a recovery as he usually does. Yeah. and he refers to that. But it's his it's his comment after that. Uh, two comments that really jump out. He makes the, he makes the statement. Uh, I'm going to spend what time I have left to get to know him a little better. Mm-hmm. And I think there's two things about that. There's the spiritual aspect that Chamberlain, you know, he'd been to seminary. You know, he could have been a minister. He never was ordained. Mm -hmm. He did speak in churches. We do know that, uh, at least on one or two occasions uh, during his seminary years. So you have that aspect. But this is uh, so he but he has this appetite despite what he knows he he wants to keep studying about god and this is uh to me i couldn't i i relate to you when i was telling you the story i've always thought about the letter of paul to timothy yeah and send me the scrolls send me the parchments i mean you know i'll be honest i'd like to think i'd be that spiritual but if i knew i was going to be killed pretty soon i probably i I don't know if i would think of that Mm. maybe i would i don't know you don't know till you get there but chamberlain in any case chamberlain literally says (laughs) says that he says listen I want to, uh, I, I want to, uh, whatever time I have left, you know, uh, I want to get to know him a little better. But the other side of this is, this is a guy who just he he was never satisfied unless he was learning. Yeah, and that's the second part of it. You have the spiritual, uh, and then the learning slash anything. It didn't matter what it was. This is a guy who just he, uh, he until the day he died, he wanted to learn. He wanted to study. He wanted to read. Uh, you know, you have the story of him reading the Quran in the original. Right. I mean that that one just makes me fall out of my chair. Who <laughs>
0: reads that in the original?
1: <laughs> I mean, read the period, but let alone in the original. And then to say that you know, I, I don't worry. He's telling his uh, one of his nieces or through through the family, don't worry about me because I'm. Uh, reading equal portions of the New Testament before you go to bed. so it's, In
0: Latin and Greek. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, I mean, you know, uh, in any case, yeah, the Sister Say letter is a sweet letter. And honestly, it's sweet because you do see that relationship. Yeah. Uh, she did care. And she was, we'll get on the chronology, she was the last she of was. the family. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I want to thank you again. And, and if we can, I, I want to close in the last moment or two here with one of the conversations you and I had upstairs that I think is something I am admiring more and more about Chamberlain. Um, I I guess I'm going to call it sort of a common sense versus education and you know or wit might be the way to say it and Chamberlain to me General Joshua Chamberlain seems like one of um, you, you seem to have two types of people, those that are educated and they're, they're witty, they're very smart, and he was definitely there. I mean, who enters Bowden knowing Greek and Latin, unless you've studied. But he also was on the field of battle, uh, commandeered many times. And so this guy was not only educated and witty, but he had a real common sense. And maybe you can just close our time talking about, you know, just in a moment or two, sort of encapsulating why he, he was such the great man he was.
1: Well, and I think if I understand your question right, there's, there's two things. Chamberlain, as far as on the education side, Chamberlain would tell Governor Washburn uh, when he offered his services, what I don't know, I know how to learn.
2: Yes. And a
1: lot of people would take that as an arrogant statement and you could maybe argue it was, but he did. Uh, and he proved that throughout his life. He was a guy who, and again, we uh, the sister say letter. Right. But the second part of the, about that is, Uh, Kind of the common sense, and it comes from General Griffin, is the story I like, is uh, the statement was made about Chamberlain. Griffin was trying to get him promoted to Brigadier General before Petersburg, uh, before his wound at Petersburg, which he would be promoted. And in his uh, promotion of Chamberlain, uh, a couple of the comments he made was Chamberlain had this innate ability to look at a field and perceive the battle. Yeah. And as he put it, this is something you cannot teach in a classroom. Right. So that is where you get that little bit of a break is you could be educated but not be wise, if that makes sense. Yes. And he was he was an academic, but at least in the, in the field of battle, mm-hmm. he had a, an ability that – and General Griffin was a West Point commander mm-hmm. uh, or West Point trained, yeah. and he, he would die of yellow fever down on the Mexican border after the Civil War. Wow. Uh, and uh, it's, this is not the bugle, but he sent a, a bugle that was a 5th Corps bugle to Chamberlain Wow! And, and when he died, along cool? with his, ball, with his uh, Civil War cap. But uh, he made that statement, and one other, and actually I didn't tell you this, and I, I can't remember the exact number. He made the statement uh, about his value. He says that Chamberlain is worth more than a 1,000 soldiers. And I don't remember what the number was. Really? And so take the number figuratively. It wasn't in the hundreds. But right. uh, basically, in other words, this is a guy that has got value.
0: I love it. I love it. So I, um, I just signaled Troy that we had a minute to go <laughs> because I'm only allowed an hour on these podcasts. But in, in true Jonathan Jones and Troy Ancona fashion – to tip our hat to General Joshua Chamberlain, we have just made the longest podcast I've ever recorded. Shake hands on that. Yep. Thank um, you. I want to thank you. And again, Pajeb Scott Historical Society. And, you know, I look forward one day in glory as a Christian um, to meeting General Joshua Chamberlain. I'm sure you'll be in the line in front of me because you know him better than I do. But uh, we, we praise folks come by and I, 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 I'll speak for me. I want to be more like this man. Because I think this man was more like Christ than I am. So thank you again for Northeast by Midwest. Troy Kona. This is Jonathan Jones. You got to come up here and check it out someday. Brunswick, Maine. Pray you have a great day. And with our respect to the General Joshua Chamberlain.